and welcome back to another episode of Code with Kingy, where I'm once again joined on the mic by the man who wears the scuxest sandals in the world, that being Matt Swart, and we cover off the results from week one of Super Rugby Aotearoa in 2021, which saw the Crusaders get up over the Highlanders and the Blues take down the Hurricanes. Enjoy. All right, my man, well, kia ora, Matt, and welcome back onto Code with Kingy, where we will be recapping round one of Super Rugby Aotearoa in 2021. Uh, just like you rounded off the preview with, you picked, uh, well, you, you mentioned the fact that you thought you were going to go two from two, <laughs> and you did. Uh, I, I guess that, that second game, the scoreline uh, went to blow out a bit, but uh, we'll start off with the Crusaders and the Highlanders game, which saw the Red and Blacks take the win 26-13. Um, and as per usual, bro, I'll throw the mic to you and get your quick thoughts on what transpired on Friday night. Sweet, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's good. Good to have rugby back, and um, I thought the Crusaders were were kind of as as advertised. Really, like they they were just good when it mattered most, and good up front with their their big boppers and the one through five jumpers. Um, Lucy's might have left a little bit to be desired, but I mean, at the end of the day, it didn't affect them too much. Gutted not to see Will Jordan out there because I think you know, same with everyone. Like, he's just a bloody excitement machine. But Zebra Reese was uh, unreal. He was just looking for everything, which was Awesome to see on the Highlanders side of things. I think, yeah, like there was enough reason to to be encouraged. Like their, I think their locks were pretty good. Um, Josh Jackson and, and Jack Regan, the the old Irish lock there. But yeah, it's just kind of similar to last year. Right? They they just don't quite have that team to to really contest with the big dogs. I don't think. No, yeah, you're bang on there, and I think that starting with Type Five, I thought that the Crusaders did a number on them there. I mean, the scrums. For the Hollanders were going backwards for the most part, uh, and even at lineout time, while the Hollanders did execute a lot with getting the actual throw in, like we saw uh, with how many times the Hollanders went to the corner by turning down kickable points, the mm. Crusaders just just snuffled it all out. I mean, for me, I can understand where the Hollanders' heads were at because when you play the Crusaders, you almost have to hit five pointers. But at the same time, I mean, I remember talking to George Bauer when I had him on the podcast last year, and he talked about how much pride the Crusaders take in their mall defence. And it was something like the Crusaders haven't conceded a try uh, from a rolling mall in the, the last, I think pretty much since Scott Robertson took over. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, so I guess that just goes to show like you know how much of an emphasis they put in, into that with their preparation and game planning. And so the fact that the Highlanders kept going to the corner, and I mean, I think I've said this like a million times, but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over expecting a different result. And it yeah. just didn't eventuate. And for me, like the Crusaders, I guess the biggest telling for me is that the Crusaders were very ill-disciplined, but still found a way to get the job done. I mean, like typical of, um, you know, like, excuse my French, Anita's team, you know, you give the Crusaders <laughs> half a sniff and they converted into points. I mean, you looked at how much the Highlanders were dominating that first 20 minutes, but they just couldn't convert. And then two bang-bang plays, the first being Cody Taylor's try for well-run line, and then the the well worked set piece move where Sever rested the inside kick back to Bryn Hall. So yeah, I th- like you said, like the fact that they didn't have Will Jordan, um, and they still had the likes of uh George Bridge to come back. Uh Ethan Black had to spend time in the bin early on. I think if that yellow card hadn't have happened and the Crusaders were able to hold them out, 
without having a guy go to the bin, I think that the game could have been a lot uglier than what it was. But I think you, you look at towards that back end of that first half, and the Highlanders were able to work their way back into the game with a numerical advantage. But yeah, that, that second half, the Crusaders just really were just quite impressive, you know, just defensively. I mean, I guess that's like, you know, the motto, you know, defense win championships. And if the Crusaders can defend like they did, albeit with giving away that many penalties and still find a way to win, they're going to be very, very tough to beat down the line. Yeah, I just just quickly looking at the penalty stats now. So the penalty count was 15 Crusaders penalties conceded versus eight from the Highlanders. So that's yeah, almost double. The fact that the Highlanders only had one penalty goal on the scoreboard, I think, is is pretty criminal. And you know, part of me does wonder, and this is just a random thought, but the fact that Ash Dixon was their captain, does he get a little bit try line hungry, being the hooker and being the one who will be likely getting the meat pie from those rolling malls. Like I don't know if that plays a part in it, but it, yeah, it was puzzling. Like you know, we are seeing more and more teams move away from shots at goal. But regardless, like, as you're saying, against a team like the Crusaders, do you think you just you just got to take the points, keep them ticking over? Like I'd love to have known how the scoreline would have looked if they had taken those three points early on and they were just quite clearly on top. Well, from what I've read, they turned down eight kickable penalties during the game. Uh, so uh, nine in total. So they, they 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 took the one win with with Mitch Hunt. Um, I think the back end of the first half or early in the second half. Yeah, early um, in the second, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, it, it it's so hard to sort of like bring that stuff up now because it changed the complexity of the game. If the Highlanders keep taking threes, I mean the Crusaders themselves ended up taking um a lot of kicks to the corner. Um, but I guess mm-hmm. the difference was the fact that they showed an ability to convert, or at least turn that pressure into points. Uh, but yeah, it's just it's just frustrating um, as someone who likes to go against the Crusaders. It's just like, how on earth are they still ahead in this game when they're literally just getting penalised off the park? And again, I guess it's just a testament to a great side who takes their opportunities when they're presented to them. And as I mentioned, and, and nice of you to, to mention uh, old Sever Reese, I thought that he was superb. A toss-up between him and Cody Taylor for man of the match. Um, myself, I probably would have gone for Sever Reese just because I think that it's a lot harder for a winger to inject himself if the ball isn't coming his way. And that's not to say that it didn't, but, you know, like you mentioned, he's just a live wire. He just poses three every time he had the ball. He goes looking for work. I mean, for me, he's probably the most energetic winger we have in the country at the moment. He was probably unfortunate not to get enough, um, well, not to get more opportunities for the All Blacks at the back end of last year with Foster looking to run Geordie on the wing and whoever else or with the, with um, Caleb Clark emerging. But, yeah, just the, the Crusaders... Um, Ford Pack, um, as we mentioned in that preview, I think, yeah, the fact they have Scott Barrett back, Ethan Blackadder, even though he was the one that got simbinned and gave away a few too many penalties for my liking, I mean, he's very much in that Liam Squire mould, I mean, if you look at them, I'd mm. love to see that their, um, their body comparison in terms of weight and height, but he could be another bolter uh, on the cards because... I guess like anyone that comes out of that Crusaders factory, they, they probably transition into that All Blacks environment um, pretty seamlessly. So, yeah, it's just it's pretty unfair the fact that you're bringing on like someone like a George Bauer and even like Josh Mackay. I thought looked good. I mean, yeah, he did. So it's just yeah, it's going to be a frustrating year if the Crusaders <laughs> keep tuning out these sorts of performances. And that's and that's the thing for me. It's Again. like they played and won the game, and they didn't even play that well for my liking. So. Yeah, I mean, anyone else yeah. you want to highlight for you, even across the Highlanders? Um, not particularly. As, as I touched on before, I thought um, Dixon and Regan were, were pretty good in the locking department. 
Jonah Nadecki and, mm. and Garden Bashup as well, I thought was was pretty solid on debut. Obviously got that try and had a another pretty sharp run from what I can remember. So yeah, those those few players that I identified there are probably the standouts for me. But yeah, I think I'll go with Sevi Reese over Cody Taylor for the man of the match there. Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah, they um the Crusaders roll on into next week and then we'll we'll touch a little bit on that um a little bit later. But yeah, we'll go to Saturday night where the Hurricanes played the Blues or hosted them in Artie's hundredth Super Rugby match. And unfortunately for us, or but even though as we predicted, the Blues came away with the win, thirty-one points to sixteen. What did you take away from? I'm guessing you had to watch the replay after having your party on Saturday night. <laughs> so yeah, what what did you make of um the game in the capital? You know, you're right there. It was a little dusty Sunday park out with the rest of the crew and uh, chuckle on the replay. But no, it was um, I don't know. I was I was kind of I was quite happy with with how the Hurricanes bounced back after that that slow start to the first half. Like it was it was all good, obviously with those two tries early on through Papali'i and Amor. But then yeah, they're obviously under the pump for ages and then eventually fought back. But I think just again like. To just go back to the tight fires, like just every time you're getting crunched in the scrum, and you know lineouts are very hard to win against the throw, and but like they're just just it's just not there, and then that makes it so much harder to build a platform. If every time there's a scrum, you're just panicking trying to get it out, or you're going to get a penalty against you if it's an opposition scrum. So it's yeah, it's incredibly frustrating to watch when that is the case. But again, that happened throughout the game. Yeah, the Blues looked deadly enough. Like there were a couple of shocker. Hurricanes mistakes that kind of gifted them tries like that cross kick at the end of the game where Ioani ran away and then Dalton Papali'i's try in the first few minutes where it was just a off pass that hit for feeder in the chest and he still didn't pick it up. So things like that, like the Hurricanes probably aren't too gutted about and the fact that they were mistakes that they hopefully won't duplicate in the future. But yeah, just go back to that, that tight five point again. I think that was the, the main difference maker. Yeah, definitely. I thought that the fact that the Blues didn't have their two All Blacks starting uh, with Tonga Fassi and Tuanukuafi on the bench, I thought that the Hurricanes mm-hmm. might show a bit of dominance here. But credit to uh, is it James Lay, the prop yeah, that yeah. was um, playing loose head. I mean, he, if anything, I thought that he outperformed Tyrell Lomax. Yep. Um, and, and as you mentioned, I think that first half, I think the, the Hurricanes were, um, well, they were desperate and obviously that desperation paid off in the end with having that 11-7 lead at half time, But I think that the, the Blues sort of rekindled a lot of the stuff because, I mean, they had ample opportunity in that first half to score points but didn't get it done, uh, similar to the Highlanders. But in that second half, I think they found a bit more of a groove and sort of snuffed out the Hurricanes' attack. I mean, for me in that second half for the Hurricanes, it was very similar to what we saw probably in the first two rounds last season where their attack just looked predictable and there was no punch. Now, you know, I don't want to, I know I've got on this guy in the past and it's only because I think he is going to be the key uh, to this Hurricanes car, if you will, for the season. That's Nani Lamapi. Now, he had four runs. I mean, he had five runs for four metres on Mm. Saturday night. Now, that's not to say that I thought that he played bad. I thought he got himself involved in, you know, the effort this year. I I think as a whole for the Hurricanes from Saturday night, you can't fault them for their effort. It was just more so their execution and decision-making and even discipline for them, uh, especially in that second half, that was really costly in the end. So, yeah, it was... I, I, I don't want to... Yeah, I can't really pick anyone out for having a poor game, um, but if I was going to, I thought that James Blackwell, again, a toilet that I love, I mean, he got penalised a few times and ended up going to the bin. Yeah. I thought that Fita probably didn't make the most of his opportunity. I was very surprised to see him start at blindside. 
I liked the idea with what the Hurricanes were doing in terms of rounding out their loose forward trio because, as we mentioned last week, when you're playing Artie and Dupes, they are relatively undersized. And so I can see with having Devin Flanders, who's a bit more of a longer body at eight, put Artie at his preferred position at seven, and then you've got that big bulky fella at six and, and via. But yeah, there was just a couple of times, like you mentioned, the, the drop pass, even though I think that Blackwell stuck his hands up and there was a bit of confusion there. There were a couple of missed tackles, and then even a few penalties were given away by the Big Tongan. So, yeah, I mean, I know know it's only week one, and, you know, guys are getting back into the groove of things, but I'm going to need to see something more um, from someone in that forward pack to get things going, and then even in the back line, because I don't think that we can just all sort of just lump it onto Nani. I think with Peter Umanga Jensen coming back, I thought he was quite good off the bench, and I think he'll combine well with Nani. But yeah. The yeah. lines, the lines that he runs. I think he just made such a difference when he came on. Even though I don't think he like made a line break or anything like that, he always just seemed to like kind of make those. I suppose they call them half breaks, don't they? But like they, they kind of sound dumb. But he always kind of seems to get over the advantage line and at least make a bit of an impact. Whereas, yeah, obviously as you said, like Lamape didn't produce much at all. And and I, yeah, Proctor just he just doesn't quite do it for me yet. Like he's still a young buck, so he's still got plenty of promise in him, but. Yeah, I'm not too sure why Munger Jensen didn't get the start there. Well, uh, talking to a couple of boys that I knew, I think it was because he had his, he's had his kid um, within the, like, the last week or so, so I think gotcha. he missed a chunk of training. And yeah, similar, yeah, I, I, I'm of a similar mindset to you with, with Billy Proctor. Um, he's obviously got a lot of potential, but I haven't quite seen him perform at the super level. Um, if you get what I mean. so And I'm not mm. sure how you'd sort of rekindle that. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming Umaga Jensen will just come straight back into the starting lineup next week. But I, I have to give a shout-out, and even though I would have preferred to see somebody else start on the wing, I didn't mind what I saw from Julian Sevilla. I was yep. very sceptical going into it, um, and there were a couple of runs where I thought he should have found grass rather than trying to take it on the outside. But he does look a lot trimmer. And he made his tackles, and he was good under the high ball. So, I mean, for me, again, like even though I want somebody else to start on the wing, I won't mention who. But, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was relatively surprised at how well he looked, um, yeah, yeah. considering his hiatus from New Zealand rugby at this level. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. No, I had the same kind of scepticism about him going into this opening round. But, yeah, no, he, he definitely proved me wrong. He had a few good runs, especially at the start of the game. And then there was that. Open field tackle, I think it was on Mark Talia when he made that break mm. from the back, like right around the ankles, which is not something I can remember seeing from Julian Sevilla in a long time. So, yeah, that was good to see. Um, competition is, is healthy, I suppose. But, I mean, yeah, it's one game, so I don't know how much we can take from that. But I think still, you know, given from what we saw, um, or from, from myself anyway, from what I saw in Rayasi in the minor 10 cup for the past two seasons, I think it's, yeah, I'm still pushing him to be the uh, the starting wing on that left side. But, yeah, obviously Sevilla did himself no harm with that performance. 100%. Um, just to mention a couple of other names that I thought that were impressive for the Canes. Well, obviously the standout one would be Asaf Moore, especially yeah. in that first half. I mean, if he can run like that for the rest of the season um, and have a little bit of help from someone in that tight five or in that loose forward trio, I think that, yeah, that could be the boost that the Hurricanes need. Adi Sevilla, um, as always, was captain fantastic. Although if I was going to be a little bit nitpicky, he did end up giving away the penalty that turned the Blues lead from a five-point lead into an eight-point lead with about 10 minutes to go. Um, and then the other one was uh, the halfback, Jonathan Tomatini. Um, I mm-hmm. actually thought that he looked all right as well. His passing was pretty sharp. He was very good defensively. Um, and yeah, and he didn't look out of his depth uh, in his first start for the Hurricanes. So 
yeah, a bit of, bit of promise there. So, I mean, yeah, for you, anyone in the Canes, what about the Blues? Um, yeah, I think you've covered everyone from the Canes there, obviously. Armour um, was a standout, and I'm pretty interested to see what happens when Dan Coles returns now, if, if Armour can keep playing like that. Yeah, for the for the Blues, I think, yeah, James Lay touched on before. Obviously, not a lot with ball in hand or anything like that, but, yeah, those those scrums were pretty dominant from the Blues there. I think Kitty Ioane um, was a, a standout as well. He had a few runs, especially that one where he fended off oh, Artie Sevier. Yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, that would have been one of the, the first times I can remember where Artie got a big eat hand like that, but um, it was quite a sight to see. Even Ottidy Black, I thought, played pretty well. Um, yeah, no, that, like, they were just solid throughout, I think. There was, there was no one that was amazing, but I don't think anyone had a real stinker either. No, no, no. Yeah, I was kind of I, hoping we'd see a little bit more from Hoskins Satutu. I thought he was a bit tired. thought he could have got involved a little bit more. But, yeah, but that's not a bad game by any means. It was just a bit more under the radar than what we're used to from him. Yeah, I guess that's the funny thing now. When you put your name in lights, I guess there's an expectation that you're going to be playing at a certain level. For um, sure. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, like, a lot of these guys, yeah, like you said, you touched on, it's only one game in, so you can only take so much from it. But... Uh, yeah, I've just got a couple of points to rattle off, mate. It's it's a new segment that I want to introduce, and it's called Run or Pass. So I've just got I've pulled five questions, or I've got five talking points from the week, um, and I need you to give me your response. As in, like, are you going to run with what I've suggested, or are you passing with it? And please give me an explanation as to why you've gone about it that way. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Question number one: Josh Iwani should start at ten next week. Are you running with it or passing on that? Yeah. I'm running with it. He's my boy. Um, I think I've I've been pretty vocal about my support for him since last season when he was chucked out at second five. Um, no, I think he's I think he's quite clearly the the best first five that the Highlanders have. And you know, Mitch Hunt is is fine as a Super Rugby first five, but I think Yuani is is a step above. So I'm I, running with that. Yeah, no, me too. I thought that the Highlanders actually looked a lot better given. You know, it's later in the game when Josh Iwani came on, so you're playing against mm-hmm. tired bodies. But I just think his decision-making uh, and just his, his, his threat with ball in hand in terms of, like, he's probably got one of the crisper long balls in the competition. And even his kicks in behind, I mean, there was the one where there was the the ref went all the way back for that knock-on for, with, or with Nani Punivai on the ground where um, I think it was Sia Tompkins and he ended up scoring the try off the kick. Mm. Um, I, mean, you know, I mean, I don't want to touch on that point because the Crusaders ended up winning by a decent enough margin and I don't want to carry on with all these referees calls but yeah for me I'd like to see Josh start there and I I don't know why Tony Brown's against having Mitch Hunt at fullback I wasn't actually all that impressed with Solomon Alemalo if I'm being perfectly honest Uh, so yeah again I'm a big fan of that 10-15 axis you know shoot me if you think otherwise but yeah (laughs) like I, I just think that the Highlanders had something going good there and even like the fact that Michael Collins wasn't playing. Um, that's not to say that I don't think Ponyvai has a potential play at this level, but yeah, I'm, I thought that the Highlanders, especially towards the back end of 2020, had a great combination in their back line. Mm. But yeah, for whatever reason, um, Tony Brown is trying to switch things up. And yeah, like I mentioned, maybe that's just to get more X Factor on the part. But we'll get on to point two, and, you, and you've touched on it. Um, should Asafo Amua remain the starting hooker, even if Dane Coles is fully fit? Oh yeah. Um, honestly, I think he should. I think he's at that point now where he's he's had what two or three Super Rugby seasons under his belt. The All Blacks are probably starting to look more towards twenty twenty 
Um, obviously, Dane Coles isn't an option there. Well, you wouldn't think so anyway. So um, I don't know if there's going to be a little bit of pressure from the high ups to be giving our more a bit more of a run. But yeah, I think off off what we saw on the weekend and what we've seen in the past as well, Amor is is clearly a world class talent at hooker. Not to say Dane Coles isn't, but I think his best is behind him, and it's time to pass on the torch and give bigger Safo Amor a bit more burn. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreement, mate. I don't think we need to waffle on with that one any longer. Um, number three, the Blues have all the tools to contest the competition with the Crusaders. Ooh, yeah, that's toughy. As as I kind of touched on last week, um, I think the Crusaders do have the better squad, slightly. Has my opinion changed on that from what we saw on the weekend? Maybe a little bit. Like, I was quite impressed with the Blues. So what they did in Wellington um, after kind of, you know, not struggling in that first 20 minutes, but not really getting all the reward that they should have and then finishing off with a hiss and a roar that they did. Like that was that was pretty good, but I think the Crusaders showed why they've won, what is it, three in a row or four in a row or something. So, no, nah, I'm not ready to pass on them as the uh, number one team just yet. Mm, I, I think the, the thing for me was, yeah, like you said, that adaptability and the fact that when they went into the sheds, Obviously, whatever Liam McDonald told them to do, they went out and did it, and it worked. Uh, I think that Caleb Clark looked um, pretty impressive with ball in hand. I don't think there's any mm-hmm. case of the second-year syndrome with him. Yeah, again, I know it's only game one. Um, and then even that loose forward trio, uh, I mean, Hoskins of 2-2 had a relatively quiet game by his standards. I thought that Kelly Iwani was awesome. I mean, they've got guys like uh, Josh Goodhue and Tom Robinson coming off the bench. They've got All Blacks coming off the bench. They've still got their two first-choice hookers because, I mean, Kurt Eklund was only brought back into the squad after a couple of injuries, so they still got them to come mm. back. Um, they got Finlay Christie um, as their reserve halfback with Sam Nock in there. And I thought that Autity Black was good. I mean, like, I think the thing for him is that, like, he's obviously not going to try and be Bowden Barrett because if anybody tries to do that, they're going to fall on their ass. But I thought that he conducted play quite well. I mean, he, he had a hand in the two second-half tries, uh, which ultimately put the Blues back into the ascendancy. And, yeah, I mean, if, if Rico Iwani can get a bit more ball in hand and even someone like a Stephen Pedofetua, I thought he played relatively well. Yeah, like, I'm not saying that they're better than the Crusaders, but if Autity Black can keep this up and their forward pack, uh, when they play the Crusaders confront, I think we're in for two belter games when those two come up against each other. But, yeah, on the point of the Crusaders, though, um, yeah, Again, a lot was made of that penalty count on Friday night. So for you, do you look at them as a intentionally cynical team, especially when trying to snuff <laughs> out the opposition's attack? Um, or it's a tough one because I think there are players that in their team that are um, of that mould. I think Scott Barrett is is probably one of the worst for it. Same with same with Joe Moody. Uh, he's he's not the cleanest of guys out there, but I, I don't want to say they're intentionally cynical because. Yeah, I don't. I don't believe teams would act like that because it's it's a fast way to get on the wrong side of a referee and then get yellow cards. And obviously that did happen. But um, I think if they did it, you know, week after week after week, there'd be a lot more discussion than than what there is. They're obviously on everyone's targets because they're as good as what they are. They've they've won however many Super Rugby titles across their years. So everyone loves to hate them. But um, no, I think it's it's overhyped um, as to how cynical they are with their defensive tactics, if we can put it that way. <laughs> I think the thing for me, or the way that I'd like to word it, is that they play 
they play right to that line and yeah. sometimes they creep over it um like maybe we saw on Friday but they're probably the best at almost being right on that referee in terms of like forcing his hand as to whether or not he's going to make a call um, and then everything just falls in line after that. I mean, you even look at someone like Sam Whitelock. Like, if you just watch him during the game and you watch him at ruck time, he's just a pest. He'll sort yeah. of come in at the last minute, get his hands on the ball, and it might not look like much, but that split second that he takes off the attack can be the difference between a good set of hands and someone having to do like a shit tap on, you know? And mm-hmm. they're the best at it, and they stay winning. So, yeah, I, I get where that argument's coming from. But, yeah, like you said, I think most teams, if they could play the way the Crusaders play, they would. But, unfortunately, no one has for the last four years. And, yeah, I guess we'll have to see at the end of this 2021 season whether anyone else can better them. So, yeah, but getting on to my last point, mate. Um, Again, talking about the penalties. Now, a lot was made of the referees, I guess, influence on the game because there were 50 penalties blown between... Friday and Saturday night. So for you, did you feel like the referees got too involved or do you think that the onus is on the teams to actually get behind the last man's feet? Um, yeah, at, at the end of the day, it is on the teams, but then you know, there's all this talk about like you've got to you've got to make sure you're clearly on side. Well, I think that's a bit of garbage as well because if a defender is thinking in their head that they're clearly on side, how are they to know that the ref doesn't think that they're clearly on side? Like, there's a difference between objectively being offside and subjectively being offside. Like, there's, yeah, I don't know why that that wording has been thrown about, and perhaps that's causing a bit of confusion. And and obviously there are people out there that are saying, oh, we're gonna go another meter behind the last man's feet. Well, like, that's giving the attackers another meter, or maybe even more once they, you know, once they get rolling, it's another meter of momentum. Blah blah blah. So I think it's it's something that does need to be looked at. But I think I remember talking to you at a similar stage at uh, last season when penalties were getting blown willy-nilly in the first couple of rounds and they eventually did slow down. So I'm hoping that it is just a, not an overreaction, but, you know, the refs are a bit whistle-happy trying to overcomplicate or, or overanalyze these new or um, highlighted laws that have been talked about in the off-season. And with a bit of luck, we'll be back to somewhat um, normalcy in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I think that the, I guess the the middle ground that these teams are trying to find now is that, yes, they understand that the referee is going to be a lot harsher with the offside line, but there's such an emphasis on line speed these days that I think mm. what we saw with the Crusaders is that they were trying to get up in their face by literally like creeping right up to the line because, you know, a lot of these guys are training to, you know, stay on the ball with their feet so that way they can get the jump on the attackers. And yeah, they probably just got a little bit too eager. Um, and then even on top of that, bro, I don't know if you noticed this or anybody else did, but nobody's attacking the breakdown these days. Besides yeah. the times where guys are clearly isolated, there's at least 13 men on their feet. Um, and now I know there's been a lot of talks around you know, the whole defensive structures these days and how it's very similar to league, but I hope this we or I hope that we're not seeing the end of the poachers. You know your, your classics. You know maybe your your pre-captaincy Sam Keynes. You know your Lachlan Boshears, your, your Dylan Hunts. Because mm-hmm. I think it's such a for me it, it's an art form and the fact that I I think that we may be moving away from that. Um, I guess for I guess a rugby purist, um, if I can call myself one, is that <laughs> yeah it, it might even mark the end of an era. So. Yeah, but, but like you, bro, I think that for me, uh, I like when the referees are referring to the letter of the law. 
um, because in that way there is no gray area, there is no interpretation. So yeah, I'd swing between you know is it the referees or the players' responsibility or the team's responsibility? For me, it's more so the players because if they clearly put themselves behind the defensive line or behind the offside line, they give the referee no need to penalise them. Now I yeah. get I get that these days you know. A lot of the time, it's the fence that wins games, and you know there is such a huge emphasis on line speed, you know, to cut down the attacking team's time with the ball. But yeah, like for for people crying out, they're saying the referee should just let the game flow, yada yada yada. It's like, well, no. If teams like the Crusaders are going to be coming off, you know, off their line, and maybe coming a little bit too early, it's only ruining, you know, the spectacle as well by not giving the Highlanders the opportunity, the, the legal opportunity. Yeah. Uh, well, exactly. they're right um, to to use the ball in hand, bro. But yeah, man, um, I, that, that's it for the the Ronald pass. It's just a new thing I'm going to look to introduce by pulling like five points like from um, the week that's just gone. But yeah, all in all, bro, I was pretty happy with what um, I saw from all of the teams. I know there are some teams that have more to work on than others, but yeah, looking forward to the rest of this 2021 season. So again, just a big thank you to you, Matt, um, for always answering the call when I've. When I when I'm ringing you, bro, I really appreciate your insight <laughs> on the Sweet, show, man. and yeah, I'll hopefully look to get you sometime uh, down the line. Maybe not Super Rugby. I'll, I'll look to try and get um, a couple of new faces on to switch things up. But definitely, when we get All Black Rugby on, um, you'll be one of the first guys I'm reaching for um, in my beautiful phone. Sounds bloody good. Now, thank you for having me, mate. It was another another good weekend of code, and yeah, we'll see what the Chiefs have got this weekend. 100% bro. All right. Stay safe and beautiful, cuz. Catch you later. Sweet, mate. You too.